Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I sit down with my guests to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. Elena Thurston is an inspirational speaker and founder of the Pride and Joy Foundation. When she reached out to me to see if we might be able to connect for a podcast, I wasn't sure how her story linked back to the outdoors. So I tuned into her TED Talk only to be taken aback when I learned that fly fishing changed her life. In this episode of Anchored, I sit down with Elena and her partner Kristen to discuss the story of how they met, diversity in fly fishing, feeling trapped in the corporate world, and more. This episode of Anchored is brought to you by Olakai. Aloha was born in Hawaii, but the Aloha spirit holds no geographic boundaries. With Aloha as their foundation, Olakai takes a different approach to footwear. Olakai crafts only the highest quality shoes and sandals with premium materials and artistic story detail with the style, durability, and versatility for today's watermen and waterwomen who lead an active ocean-bound lifestyle. Whether you're loading up the boat with supplies at the dock, fishing off the rocks, or scoping out the best place to cast from the beach, Olakai's water-ready footwear is designed to keep you sure-footed with comfortable island style through every step of your journey. Shop or find your local retailer at olakai.com forward slash anchored. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to check out my new website, anchoredoutdoors.com. For years, so many of you have been asking for me to take Anchor to the next step with video, and that's exactly what I've done. Our master classes are almost ready to post, and our membership prices will inevitably be going up. Right now, you can still get in at the honored rate of only $4.99 a month, but once the first three classes are up, prices are also going up with them. So don't wait to get on board. Head on over to anchoredoutdoors.com. And Elena, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. This is a little bit different because we are doing this remotely, but, um, and, and it is, I'll be honest, you guys are the sort of people that I'd like to be interviewing in person because I feel like I'm going to ask you a lot of kind of intimate questions oh. and it's all, not that, uh, don't get too excited. But you know what I mean? Like they're personal questions and, and it's just weird Absolutely. asking them remotely. Um, so let's just start with who you both are. Elena, let's start with you. What's your story? I mean, what's your very brief bio and we'll get into your story. Okay. <laughs> so I am Elena Joy. I am a mother of four awesome kids. I am a fly fisher. I am a speaker, an activist, and a founder of a nonprofit for LGBTQ families and their allies. Fantastic. Thank That's you. That's what I do. Kristen, what's your brief story? Uh, brief story. Former college athlete turned new four kid mom. <laughs> uh, obviously fly fisher and, um, I work in the accounting industry as of now. So kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's not boring. <laughs> no, it is boring. <laughs> uh, now you two are together, like as in you're, yep. you're a couple. We are a couple. Yes. Your timing is spectacular because a few episodes ago we were discussing 
just the diversity in fly fishing. And, and now I admittedly am not politically correct. I am going to say some very stupid <laughs> things. We. We're, we're bad examples in and of itself. So. <laughs> I, uh, I, wanted, I wanted somebody from the gay community. What is the community now? Because I feel like now it's like LBGTQFZY. I just don't know where we're at. So what is the community that I am referring to without sounding too offensive like like I have been so far? Uh, you know, it's interesting because it's always about different platforms, right? I mean, I, I work in social media. And so to me, it's all about like the hashtags and the links and the groups, like what is most used and still what is most used is LGBT. Um, I typically use LGBTQ probably because I have close friends that consider themselves non-binary or can't figure out which box they're in. And so they really appreciate that there's a Q on the end that just stands for queer. Um, so that's what I use. Other people will use LGBTQ+. Plus oh, I haven't and- heard that one yet. I haven't heard <laughs> yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah. Layers on layers. So- Layers and layers. Yeah. Lots of, I call it the alphabet mafia because <laughs> yeah. it's just really intimidating to people. It, it, it is. Yes. I thought there was another, I thought there was an L G B Q T and then I thought there was another letter, but maybe it's just plus. There's an I sometimes. Okay. L G B T Q I. Um, I literally don't know what it stands for. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm not a very, a very well versed in that yet. <laughs> but but it's meant to be all inclusive. That's yeah, the key here, is. right? It's meant to be all inclusive, and that's really important to me. And it's something that I've been promising that I'd get to on the show. And you two are the perfect people to do this with. So, what exactly do you do in the foundation, Elena? Sure. So the Pride and Joy Foundation is dedicated to building self-awareness and safety in LGBTQ families and their allies. So basically what we do is we provide a way um, for LGBTQ parents with straight who are parenting kids, right? And that's an entire ball game in and of itself. And then you also have straight parents with LGBTQ kids, and that's a whole crazy ball game in and of itself. And then you have all these allies. You have grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends who want to be strong allies who don't know really how to because our generations have never really been taught how to do that. I mean, just with the alphabet mafia alone, right? Like we don't even know how to refer to each other. <laughs> so, yeah. So my, the goal with the foundation is to just help all of those people come together, feel a sense of community, as well as a safe space to ask those questions that you feel really weird about asking. Yeah. Like right now and me with all of my questions that I feel really right? weird about asking. But now <laughs> fly fishing does come into play in this story. Cause I know some people right now are listening going, wait, 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 where, right? what did I get into? Where <laughs> is this going? Admittedly, Elena, I have listened to your TED Talk. Awesome. I feel like I know the general gist of your story, um, but I really want to share it. I'm going to jump to Kristen here <gasps> to kind of to kind of get a little bit of info on the fly fishing. Because Kristen, you were an angler before you met Elena, right? That is correct. Yes, ma'am. So uh, tell me about your fly fishing experience. How did it get into your life? Uh, you know, I got spoiled my, my first go around. I was on kind of a cross country road trip. A friend and I were in going to school in New Mexico and they had family in Montana of, of all places. And I was like, okay, let's go on a cool road trip. And, you know, we drove the 22 hours up there and their dad was a really huge fly fisherman. And I was like, you know, I don't know about this getting in the water, like hydrodynamics. Those scare me. And so he, they convinced me. And then so he and his older buddy, had this, you know, waiter set up extras that we could borrow. And so I'm in like size 15 boots in these just saggy neoprene waders. And I'm just like, schlock, schlock, schlocking through the water. And I'm like, I don't get this. And then all of a sudden, I see my indicator go down. Uh, obviously, I didn't know it was called that at the time. I'm like, my fluff ball. Um, <laughs> I see my indicator go down and I set and this beautiful 18 inch rainbow comes just you know, bucking out of the, out of the stall. And I was like, whoa, this is like the coolest thing I've ever experienced. And so I took that and unfortunately I had to come back to Arizona and I kind of put that away on a shelf for a bit, right? Like that memory is there. That is the coolest thing. I want to get back to that. 
And so I, I put it away for a while. And just one day I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this. And so I, I'm also really cheap. So I waited till, unfortunately, a big box store. So a big box store put a, a rod reel combo on sale for like 80 bucks. And I went and got that. And I, I read every book in our public library and I just started hitting the water like crazy. I found local clubs and, you know, just was getting out with anybody and everybody. Oh, you want to fish for a carp? Absolutely. Oh, you want to go for smallmouth? Sure. Wild small stream trout? Yep. So I just started doing all the things and it was, it was really, really fun to see both my progress and then those that I was able to help to, um, from being in the club to, to watch them progress as well. So this was around, I want to say either 2011 or 2012 because side story tangent, like right when I started, a lot of people were like, Oh, you need to watch John, uh, sorry, Joan Wolf, Joan Wolf. I was like, Oh, cool, 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 cool. And then again, I was in the library and I'm walking past the magazines and not to make this weird, but there you are on the cover of outside magazine. And oh. I was like, who's, who's this lady? And I remember thinking though, at the time too, and you can cut this out later if you'd like, that I, I opened it up and I read the story and I was, it was inspiring, but also at the same time, I kind of felt a little bad for you and not like in a weird way, but that your cover or that, I don't remember if it was the cover or if you were on the inside. I can't remember. I'm sorry, but um, the inside. Yep. I remember inside, okay. all of this. <laughs> I just remember <laughs> how, how stunning you looked. And I was like, ah, crap, they're going to give her shit for being pretty. And so I really hoping that they, they didn't tear you up too terribly bad. I think they did, but I just was yeah, like, oh, man, she's so cool. She's so cool. And Aww, it was just, I, I could see it coming. And I was just like, it, just the nature of, of some of the biz that I knew that was going to come. In. So just know that when I read that, I was, I, I think I, I, I gave the reaction that hopefully you would have liked and that Outside Magazine was hoping for. <laughs> oh, good. That means, that means a lot to me. It really does. Because at that point in my career, I had already been established for long enough yeah. that I had, I'd already heard everything, I'm but sure. they wanted to, they wanted to do a unique shoot. They wanted me to look like myself, not, mm-hmm. not fishing April, but like done up a- April. Right. Um, so I, I copped, uh, and a, I caught a little bit more shit than usual, but nothing I wasn't used to at the time. <laughs> used to, accustomed to. No, that's awesome. So why I was asking about how long you've been fishing for is because of this. And this is a little uncomfortable, but we're just going to keep it totally real here. Go for it. Well, I really got big into fly fishing in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And started branching out and, and really being in front of people doing it. Mm-hmm. And I remember so many people asking me and assuming that I was a lesbian because <laughs> it was almost like this assumption that straight women wouldn't dare fish. And, and if they did, it was to find a man. It couldn't right. possibly be because I loved it. And, and that was actually a really, really big eye opener for me. And I will admit a lot of my clientele were, I had a lot of, um, you know, gay, Mostly, I guess, I mean, lesbians, well, that's politically correct today, right? Sure. Lesbian? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, like le- lesbian female partners as who are clients. And, and it, it didn't take me, I, I mean, I didn't think it was overwhelming, but I did find that a lot of people still assumed that most female anglers were lesbians. In fact, funny story. When I got married, <laughs> I posted a picture of myself and my best friend doing construction around the place. And I said... The time is here. We're finally getting married. And oh no! I obviously, meant to my husband, and all the comments were like, "I knew she was gay." I mean, it was just like everybody was had figured I was coming out of the closet. So I'm just wondering, like, does that thing hold any truth, or was that just straight ignorant? Did you find back then, or do you find now that there are a lot of gay fly anglers, or or like female gay lesbian fly anglers? So. I like I, th- I think I mentioned earlier I was a college athlete and uh, Elaine and I have both come out later in life if you will. And so I was a college athlete again everyone just assumed that you as a female that you were gay every single one. So if you played softball, soccer, basketball, anything they just assumed. And so for for me growing up it was very odd because everyone made this assumption and then now 35 years later, I'm only proving them right. So that was kind of like a pain in my ass. (laughs) But as far as fly fishing is concerned, I've actually not experienced that. I mean, 
so, so I can't really, I, I think you were probably, I think it's a timing thing too, though. You were right on the cusp of something that was starting to reinvigorate in the industry. And I think that they just saw you and just made assumptions based on kind of athletics, right? You are That's coordinated and you like the outdoors and you're actually good at it. Like it, it's, yeah. I think that's just literally you, you just must, a timing you issue. You must be a lesbian. Right. You're going to be a lesbian. You can well, also, wood. every lesbian angler in the world was hoping you were gay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when they thought they saw photographic oh, evidence, no. they were like, yes. <laughs> Sorry, ladies, I'm a taken woman. <laughs> But, but let's, let's talk about your story because this is really interesting. So Elena, um, I mean, obviously I encourage everybody to listen to your TED talk. It's very inspirational, but can we tap into that? Can you tell us your story? Because, um, it really, honestly, I was captivated the entire time you were speaking. I was totally interested and engaged with what you were saying. So take it away. Thank you. So I'll try to give you a summary. And then if there's any section that you want to kind of delve into, then let's do that. Cause it's kind of big and it's kind of intense. And I never know like how much to share, like how much someone's ready to hear. So I was 16 when I decided to join a faith community, um, without a lot of information. All I knew is that I didn't come from a very functional family and here was a religion that provided all the answers, right? They, t- they, they could say, this is what a good family does. This is how a good mom raises her kids. This is how a good dad be a good husband as well as a good father. And so that was really great for me. And it was really attractive to me. And so I did get baptized when I was 16. I went off to college and I really got very grounded in this faith community because college, again, is like one of those transitionary times in life, right? Where you're kind of inventing yourself, right? Who are you going to be as a, as a 20 year old? So I decided at that time, because I was lonely as most college freshmen are. And so it was easy to jump into the local congregation of students and have instant friends, right? So I was really in that vein and really enjoying that sense of belonging and that I was never going to be alone and that I had a checklist of things that I could check off and know that I was a good person. I really liked that reassurance a lot. And so I got married at age 20 and we went off to Utah. He had a full ride scholarship at BYU and I did have my college degree luckily and went off and two years later had my first kid and By the time I was 29, I believe, I had four children, and we came back to Arizona, and he was a rising star in his company, and I raised these four beautiful babies, and then the youngest one went off to school, and all of a sudden, I could hear my thoughts, (laughs) and I didn't recognize them, and I didn't know who I was, but that's really trite and cliche, right? And so I just kind of went off on this journey trying to trying to shut the voices up, like trying to understand who I was and and trying to dictate who I was. I had worked so hard for so long to be this very devout member of the faith, to be the devout woman that I thought I needed to be, the, the perfect stay-at-home mom that I thought I needed to be. Like I had worked so hard to develop all these roles. And now all of a sudden I had time to realize that wasn't exactly fulfilling me. <laughs> But that's really scary because that's what I'd spent the last 17 years doing. So it's not like I can change that. And so I just started picking up these hobbies basically to distract myself. I was running a a business at home and I had four kids, but it wasn't enough. There was still too much time in the day. I wasn't controlling enough, basically. And so I started weightlifting a lot and that was great. And I loved it. I loved how I could track the numbers, right? Like I could see my my gains go up every week and I can decide like how much of a load I'm going to put on. And I loved that. Cause again, it was like this black and white proof that I'm a good person. I'm strong. I'm growing. I'm progressing. Like I love that. And then, um, still too many hours in the day. And so I started running. I really liked running because 
it, it really closes down all those other tabs in your head, right? All the other windows, it really shuts it down, especially when you're going for long distances without dying. So it was very helpful that way. And then I was basically working with a friend of mine. He was a long distance runner and he was teaching me how to get, I was training for a half marathon at the time. So he was kind of coaching me. And in exchange, I was giving him photography lessons. I was a professional photographer and he was a fly fisher. And he explained to me, he'd go on these trips and he doesn't keep the fish. Like, so you would literally spend thousands of dollars on a trip and have nothing to show for it, but your photos. And as you know, in fly fishing, the photography is really hard. You've got light, you've got water, you've got the minuscule chance of actually landing a fish, right? <laughs> like you have all these different things. And so it was really fun working with him and teaching him basically how to use his cell phone camera the best way possible. And he started referring more friends to me who wanted the same concepts. And I was like, okay, if I'm actually going to like make money at this, I should probably look into the sport and understand it a little better. And so I signed up for some lessons. I liked it a lot. <laughs> and this one person told me, oh, you know, the cheapest way to learn is to just get involved with a club because all of those people will love to take you out fishing and teach you and share with you all of their knowledge. So I started doing that. I started getting names and phone numbers of guys that were in the local club. And every time I went out with them, they would teach me awesome stuff. And it was great. I loved it so much. They were so kind, but they would say, Oh, have you met Kristen? She's like the best fly fisher in the state. Like you need to know no. Kristen. And for the so, record, that's not true, but yes, it is. <laughs> <No>. so, <laughs> so I went to this club meeting the next month and I walk into this Elks Lodge all by myself and there's like 150 men and like six women and there's a break in the meeting, kind of like time to socialize and um, the board, I don't know, not the presidency, what is it called? The board, like, yeah, the board. Yeah, the board. Um, there was one woman on the board, and they were like, you need to go meet the new girl. Like, you need to go introduce yourself. And Kristen hated it because they were always forcing her to do that. Like, you're the lone woman in leadership. You need to go do the woman things. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So she came over and she was trying to offend me so that she wouldn't have to talk to me anymore. I, I, I said a very <laughs> off color joke. I, I, okay. So the timing of this is, was right during my busy season at work. So I am working like, I know to a guide, this is nothing, but I'm working like 60 hours a week in an office. And so I have to go to this meeting all the way across town. I'm the vice president. Like I got to show up. I got to represent, right? My age group, my gender, all the things. And I'm exhausted, man. Like it's, it, I just, I see that there's like five women. I'm like, okay, fine. She's taken care of, taken care of, taken care of. Last one. So she's seated in the, the chairs, like looking forward. And I, should I tell the, the off color? Yeah. Thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I tell it in every interview. So oh, I think great. you should tell it this time. Oh, it's my turn. <laughs> so I, I sit down in front of her and like, I'm just like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do this. I just want to go home. I just want to go to bed. And cause I have to get up at like two o'clock in the morning the next day to get to work. So I turn around and I go, so apparently only boobs are allowed to talk to other boobs. So what's going on? Do you like to fish? And then she cracked up, like started laughing. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, this was just, obviously you thought that Kristen was funny and, mm -hmm. you know, you'd found someone like-minded. Why, why didn't your husband pick up fly fishing at the time? Oh, he tried. Okay. I got, I <laughs> say no more. <laughs> but then, I mean, how, how, what I'm wondering is how did you guys get to where you are now? Because I will be honest uh, in listening to your story, I was thinking now this again, I'm so sorry, kind of sorry, not sorry if I'm offensive, offend, but offend, offend, all offend. I could think was like broke back mountain. <laughs> <laughs> I can't quit you. It's, it's all I could think. I was like, Oh yeah, you're going fishing with a friend. eh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying. Oh my gosh. But I mean, oh am I, am I right? Like, how does this thing, how does it happen? 
It's, well, I mean, if you think back to the movie, it's more about an emotional connection than it is a physical connection. So, so no, I mean, we, we texted, it was pretty much nonstop, like about a week later is when she finally reached out and texted me. And I mean, you just start talking about your life with somebody and learning about someone else and the troubles that they're going through and wanting to, to help them feel better and be better and live a better life. And that sounds really trite that I feel like I could offer that to her, but even, even still it was us communicating in that space that really opened up that type of relationship. Mm-hmm. Did, was there any part of you that started wondering, you know, is this just because we're in these wild places and it's so relaxed and, and, and I'll, I'll just give you some context here. I've had a few relationships and have they started? I think my mar- my marriage started out with, with fly fishing. I met Charles on a fishing trip. Um, oh no, I'm, yeah, I've, I've met a couple boyfriends. Uh, I had another boyfriend I've met during a fishing trip and I was with him for like five years. Um, and, but why I'm saying this is because it would be like reality versus yeah, you know, vac- vacation mode. Yes. So yeah, we'd ha- it'd be I know what you're so saying. Hot like, and, it'd be like hot and heavy and exciting and free and liberating. But then you right. get back to real, real life, and you're like, okay, this is yeah. not the real. I think you're. I think Absolutely. you're. What you're trying to say is like the romanticized version of a relationship, right? Like you're in vacation mode all the time. So there's that, like you said, heightened sense of everything. Um, mm-hmm. And to that, I w- I would say not necessarily. We really didn't get out fishing with with each other that much in the beginning it was a lot of just personal talking and um i was like i'll teach you fly fishing if you teach me photography you know that kind of stuff so it really it was just a melding of the minds i do think something that might be important to point out from the beginning is that there was a massive fundamental shift in who i was from that from the time Kristen and i met to who i am now which it's only been like three years, four years. Um, so regardless of if Kristen and I had ended up together after I filed for divorce, I was going to file for divorce. Regardless of Chris, if Kristen and I ended up together after it was all said and done, I was, I knew I was never going to be with a man again. So it, it, this is this is probably the stickiest part of this entire thing for me is that it's really easy, especially from the TEDx talk. It's it's really easy for people to be like, oh, so you just you know you decide you want to have an affair and cheat on your husband and and shack up with this other person and and I can totally see why people would go there and it's I'm okay with it because I know that's not how it went down. I got to a really gross place where I was very, very broken and I had to rebuild myself. And at first I was a little bit ashamed of that. And, but the more and more I shared my story, the more I realized, Oh, a lot of people have been in that place. It might not be centered around sexuality. It might be centered around leaving a faith community. It might be centered around leaving a marriage. It might be centered around leaving your family of origin, but a lot of people get to a place where they just have to fall apart and reassemble and put themselves together again. And they're a completely new person. And then life begins again. Like I refer to this time as like life 2.0 because it has nothing. It's so much different than life before. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I want to talk to you about two different things on this episode and that's the first one. So psychologically for somebody listening who might be feeling down and out or stuck what do you think it is about fishing and being outdoors that helps you to make that psychological shift and that kind of, what do the kids say now? You know, being woke, waking, <laughs> waking you up. What, you know, what happens psychologically in us that does that? Because, I mean, I can relate. Same thing. Mm-hmm. All, all of my changes in life have been because of the time I've spent outdoors. But I was wondering if we might be able to really break it down to try to put a finger on it. Absolutely. I'm, I have lots of opinions about that. And I'm sure Kristen does too. Um, to me, growth happens when we are able to release judgment, judgment of ourselves, judgment of our life, judgment of how we look, judgment of how we talk, like all the things. And so as we are able to do that, we allow ourselves to grow and change and evolve. And I feel like we can't get to that point of releasing judgment until we are connected with ourselves again. 
And when you are fishing, you have to be so present, physically present, mentally present, right? You are half a second or a tenth of a second late on that set, and it's too bad. And that might have been your one shot all day long, right? And so it's about being there and being in your body, right? So you don't break a leg on the river. You know, it's about perfecting that cast. You can't think about your sexuality when you are trying to do a 40-foot cast. Like, all of these things come into play and you become completely focused, completely in flow. I mean, we all know that feeling of being on the river and nothing else matters except that cast and that fly and that fish that you're gunning for. I mean, there's no better way to be completely centered and grounded in your body. And I feel like once you can achieve that on a regular basis, you are able to know who you are and to release the judgment of who you think you should be and just embrace who you are right now. Yeah, that would make that would make a lot of sense why so many of us have that moment of, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. It, it, it feels like I have never met anybody who has spent a lot of time outdoors who hasn't had one of those moments. Yeah, I absolutely agree that the outdoors is just an integral part of human nature. So I've had a, I'm going to be blatantly honest. I've struggled really bad these last four or five years working in the corporate setting being what I've called now, I've become an indoor cat and I'm really, I'm an outdoor cat, right? Like I meant to scrap and work and earn my meal. And that's really weird to do in a corporate setting because you come home and you don't feel like you have earned anything for that day. Not to say that you're quote, not deserving, but like, right. It's not hard work. Sometimes it's more mentally draining. So to, to be in the outside and to move your legs, to pump that extra mile, to get to that smaller part of the stream, to get where those brookies are that other people don't know about. There is both a sense of pride in your physicality and a pride in your gumption to just keep going and your sense of exploration. So I think that's a really big thing that we're all kind of missing. And I know like even, you know, pre pandemic or whatever that, that people hopefully will find what they're searching for given this extra time. And uh, it's a double-edged sword though too, right? So we all talk about needing to be outdoors more. I think it really still plays into the fact of being good stewards of the water. You know, there's not necessarily everybody getting out doesn't mean health for the nature. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a catch 22, but absolutely just, I, I honestly feel like my chest is tight the whole week until I can just get to 6,500 feet in elevation. And then <laughs> I can take in a deep breath, probably slip on a rock and fall in the stream. But I am up there and I'm doing it. And it's just, yeah, like she said, everything just kind of tunes out. And I don't have to worry about work. I don't have to worry about that email. Well, it's funny, you know, and I'm going to pry a little bit here. But when when we were doing our introductions, I could tell you're obviously feeling a little bit trapped at work. <laughs> Do you feel... Not any resentment or envy even, but do you feel admiration looking at Elena's story in, you know, taking something that did make her unhappy and making the very difficult decision to do something else? Um, do you look at it and start applying it to your own life, thinking maybe that's the sort of decision you're going to have to make with your own career and discomforts? Sure. Absolutely. Um, so I, I will go on the record, right? That, that it's, it's not resentment. Um, I definitely look at what she's doing as um, inspiring and empowering more so than, than ever resentment, right? It's not what we share the load, right? We share the plate, we carry that plate together. And so work-life balance is different, especially now that I'm working from home. Um, but is that changing my perspective. It absolutely is. I was actually supposed to have quit my job um, earlier in March and then COVID happened and my company needed me to stay on and, you know, whatever. Here we are. So, so it, it definitely has. I'm going through these kind of little mini crises where I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the Sunday scaries, if you're not really in the corporate sector, it's kind of hard. But Sunday scaries are you 
can't go to sleep at night because you're stressing so much about having to get up for work the next day. Like the sun, you can't have a good Sunday because you're so stressed out about that. So I have, I, I know it's like kind of mind over matter, whatever. It's not that simple. It's, I have the Sunday scaries. I hate going to work. I hate being trapped in the nine to five. So it, it's difficult. No, so I'm definitely, there's on the horizon. I'm just trying to figure, figure out how to pivot away from something that I, I don't particularly care for. And I'm unabashed about my feelings at work. They know. <laughs> So Do you have any ad- ad- advice though? Cause I know that a lot of sure. my listeners are in the exact same position you're in right now is that, you know, and, and a bad, and, and let's just be honest. I mean, being trapped, whether it's in a marriage or whether it's in a location or whether it's in a job, I mean, it always feels like you're just being stepped on. Right. So a lot of these people who, um, I mean, Elena, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to you, but Kristen, I know that a huge percent of my audience can relate to you right now. Uh, what yeah. do we say to those, to those people listening? Um, hang in there. I know it's difficult. I absolutely can empathize with you guys. Like it sucks the worst. So what I have done, and I know this is not necessarily in everybody's feasibility level, but I've actually cut back my hours. So I'm now working part-time and I am specifically making time to fish. And so when, even if I'm exhausted, I go meet a buddy, like I am forcing myself to make new friends. And that is so weird to say at 35. <laughs> like, uh, no, I know it, it just seems like a really odd yeah. concept, but you know, we no, all it, talk it's to a, each it's other. A- it's a really, I admire you because moving to Australia, same thing, oh, I trying to actually go out and make, and you know, the weirdest thing about it mm-hmm. is, and I'm sure you're going through this right now. <laughs> you find someone you like and you're like, we could actually be friends, but then you don't know how to, it's like trying to date them. You don't oh, know yeah. how to yes. ask yes. them. It's a and then you want, you want weird, like dance. Yeah, right. And you want to be like, I swear I'm not a weirdo. I just don't have any friends here. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, no, it's hard. In your 30s, finding new friends is so hard. It is. And I think a lot of it too, you know, everybody's on Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. And we like, and we do all these things. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of a circle jerk unless you you actually go and try and interact with these people. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes that's harder for some of the women. Some guys don't want to fish with women or some guys just want to keep their space a secret. That's totally fine. I say guys, that's literally anybody though. Some people, right? It's some people want to not fish with you and vice versa. So um, yeah, just finding, I think the important thing too is just find the like-minded people. There are people in fly fishing that are not going to float your boat, you know, so go find somebody who is like recently I've been hanging out with um, a gentleman who is a wedding photographer who loves fly fishing and I love photography and I love fly fishing. So we, uh, we hit a canal to go carp fishing and we just jibber jabbered the whole time, just about cameras and nonsense. And, you know, and it's just, it's weird to connect with human beings at 35. (laughs) So, so I guess, uh, sorry, to get back to any actual advice is, I mean, know that you're not alone. Uh, if, if anybody needs to talk, like totally hit me up <laughs> and we can, we can hash it out. Um, but really just make like one small effort each day. Maybe it is literally just tie one fly. Like if you're into that, right. Or clean your line one day, like just re-engage yourself with the sport. It's so difficult. I know um, it might be read an article. It might be listen to a podcast, but it's just these like little steps that will hopefully lead you to getting back out on the water. Because I know like at the end of the day, you're, you're mentally burned out that like your body will not, you know, cooperate with what you want to go do, which is fish. And so hopefully that'll kind of ease your mind, let you relax a little bit and let the, the mind body connection happen a little more naturally. I think another part of it that Kristen has just recently gone through is here she was the single person who could take off any weekend she wanted and go fish, right? And now she's a mom of four kids and we only have them part-time. And so the weekends that they're here, like, sorry, honey, that's fishing's not the priority, right? Like we have soccer lessons to get to and we have horseback riding lessons to get to and we have homework to get done. And and she's an absolutely incredible co-parent with me. But man, that forces fishing to take a backseat, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And and fishing is the thing that feeds her soul. So I can see as a partner that if she goes too long without it, she's not as effective a co-parent. 
Whereas when she comes back from an amazing fishing trip, she's an amazing parent. And so I'm really lucky that I have had a past relationship where I can now be aware and support her and making sure like I'm probably the one that rags on her the most. Like, have you tied anything this week? Really? Let's, <laughs> let's get to tying. <laughs> Just to feel more connected. I feel like a lot of people, they leave their job or they want to leave their job and they make the mistake of assuming that they should go into a job in the outdoors. One of my most common emails is I really want to get into fly fishing in the fly fishing industry. I currently work in the corporate world and it's such a stark contrast that I wish Mm -hmm. that people would know that there's, that there's somewhere they should land in the middle and the people who are successful at making the transition do end up somewhere in the middle preferably, you know, having more time or working at their job from home and then having more time to go fishing. What What do you think? Like, let's just keep it totally honest. Have you thought about leaving? Are you one of those people? Have you thought about leaving and getting and yeah. you know, diving, diving <laughs> in the fishing industry? Absolutely. So what is the, what's the mentality behind it? Because it always confuses me. I get these emails every day. Hey, April, I work a nine to five at my corporate job. I'm not happy. I want a job in the outdoor industry or in, in the fly fishing industry. And mm-hmm. my answer to them is, oh, hold your horses. Like, let's land, let's land somewhere in the middle. <laughs> right. But it's always start a blog. Right. <laughs> or just or like, don't, don't get in the fishing industry, get into the tourism industry and right. work from there. Or, or how about you do your same job that makes you so much money and mm-hmm. learn how to live more simply, work three days a week and have more time to go fishing. Yeah. What? What is the mentality of it? I don't understand. And I've also never had a nine to five or a corporate job. So I'm genuinely asking. I don't understand. I think it's it's desperation. Like you're literally at your wits end that I, I cannot live another day like this. This doesn't make any sense to me. Like this work doesn't fulfill me. It doesn't nourish me. And I think it, it's what a lot of people fall into though, that the hobby that they love, they want to, they think everybody like, oh, they look at how happy they are. And like guides are like, you know, eating dust bunnies and they're like, yeah, we're happy. You know? And so <laughs> I think there's, Back to the word romanticize, I think the nine to fivers romanticize what it's like to work in the outdoor industry. But, well, you know, it doesn't mean you're automatically going to go be a guide, but even just like an outfitter is way more difficult than most people think. You know, it's, it's just as much work. Working for yourself is working harder than you would in your nine to five. That being said, the caveat to that is it is more fulfilling. Like you are working towards something. And I think that's, and I'll speak for myself, that's what really has made me even consider it because I am difficult to manage and I can handle myself. <laughs> you know, uh, I, what I do for my company um, is a lot of training and instruction and teaching. And that has always been probably my biggest strength. Even like growing up, it was, I tutored a lot of people, you know, I have just have this way of showing people, um, I can explain things 20 different ways to find that niche that they understand. And, and so I think if I were to attempt to anything, obviously it would be, I would, I would go to the absolute extreme and, and I would try and guide, um, because I do enjoy the teaching aspect so much. I've taught a lot of people locally, but yeah, no, sorry, back to bring it full circle. It's absolutely desperation. It's, it's worrying that you will never be happy because of the life choices that you've already made, right? Like I can't, I, I could go back to school, but that's another four years and American $120,000, you know? So there's, it, it seems easier almost to risk everything to go work in the outdoors as opposed to lose a shit ton of money that you know you'll never get back, right? Yeah, and end up trapped again. Exactly. Yeah. So, so who's to say I'm going to go back to be yeah, a bioengineer and oh, I don't like that either. Like, you know, yeah, that's honestly going back to school to me sounds more risky than uh, moving to a job that I could potentially hate, but I could get out of just as quickly. Coming up, Elena, Kristen and I continue our conversation. Again, thank you to Olakai for making this episode possible. Fishing is at the heart of the Hawaiian culture today, just as it has been for centuries. Generations of fishermen and women expertly cast from rocky shorelines and sandy beaches. They spearfish, throw nets, fly fish, and navigate their boats beyond the reef and into the deep blue in search of their next big catch. No matter how they do it, there's an attention to detail and respect for the ocean that guides their passion. At Olakai, they believe in the same attention to detail when crafting the highest quality shoes and sandals, 
built for every type of marine environment. Whether you're loading up the boat, shoreline fishing from the rocks, or scoping out the best place to set up on the beach, Olokai takes you one step further. Shop or find your local retailer at olokai.com forward slash anchored. Um, now, the next thing I wanted to cover in this episode is um, the LBGQTI plus community. LGBTQ. Is that right? Did I get it right? LG. You got it all out there eventually. (laughs) Reverse order. Oh, okay. But I've got all the acronyms. You've got them all there. Okay. Gotcha. So as far as inclusion goes in fishing, is that, does that, does that community, does the community feel left out of the outdoors in particular fishing? Huh. I have not actually ever thought of that. That's an excellent question. Uh, you know, obviously we, it's an interesting dichotomy that we're placed in as a gay couple in that we are representative, right? We have to be these, these stewards of now this quote lifestyle as well. And it's, I don't really look at it that way. I just want to go fish. So me personally, it does not affect me. And everyone would probably say, well, you're gay. Of course it doesn't affect you. You don't care about gay people. Well, I also, wouldn't that mean I would care if people were straight that I fish with? So I just like to fish with anybody. So if I don't want to speak for a community that I, I don't know necessarily how it has actually been affected with fly fishing. What about the work that you do, Elena? Have you thought about doing any retreats or anything like that? Yes. And people have been asking for it. And so it's definitely, definitely, definitely on the calendar. I think feeling like fly fishing is a closed system is not just to the LGBT community. I feel like it's to everyone who doesn't know someone in the community, in the system. So I think that that's a lot of heterosexual women. I mean, a lot of straight women, as they get to know Kristen, they're like, oh, will you please teach me how to fly fish? I mean, we have this one friend who's like, my dad would take my brother all the time. And even though I begged him, he'd never take me. I mean, she was practically in tears as she was talking to Kristen, asking her to take her fishing, right? And so it's just this intimidating sport that is technical and will intimidate anyone who's not involved in it. It'll intimidate the straight women, the straight men, the gay men, like everyone, right? And so do does the LGBTQ community specifically feel locked out of fly fishing? No. I think anyone who doesn't have their own tie into it feels like it's harder to access, harder to understand, harder to access. But boy, they've seen those movies. <laughs> Like, boy, they think a river runs through it. It's just the most beautiful thing ever. So (laughs) they want to. Well, it just, it makes me wonder, you know, because I know so many, I do know a lot of um, couples, you know, same sex couples in who, who fish, but they're all female. I don't know any men. And I, I can't help but wonder if it would be really hard for a gay man to take up fly fishing. And I mean, it seems strange because obviously the obvious assumption is that women are, are the most discriminated against or misunderstood. So therefore, you know, a lesbian couple would be the most misunderstood, but I can't help but feel like a gay, like gay men would have a really hard time in here. What do you, what do you think? And do you feel any responsibility to be that person in the community to open their mind and their eyes to it or and give them the introduction in? I I personally feel a responsibility to the LGBT community to help them gain their mental wellness. And I feel like personally that fly fishing is a gateway into that. And so if I could offer that to any person on the sexuality spectrum, then I'm going to. If I feel like it could help them in any way, then I'm going to, to offer that to them. So in that case, yeah, I do feel a responsibility because I feel like it can be so helpful. Now, given that information... It's also a very white sport. It's also kind of, you have to have some expendable income to do it. I mean, Kristen didn't for a long time, but she's incredibly good at finding sales. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, it's, there's a lot of barriers of entry to the sport. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an uncomfortable one for me because I've always thought, well, who cares? I don't care who you sleep with. It doesn't matter to me, but In reading a lot of the books that I have been about just about feminism and about inclusion, I find that 
it is so much more than just who a person sleeps with. I mean, this is a person's history of feeling stifled or feeling like they've had to pretend to be somebody else. It, it, it's psychologically so much more than what they do physically. And that's why I do have questions about how to get them into the sport. Is there, or just into the outdoors, is there a foundation that exists right now for the community to get them into fly fishing? I mean, I feel like we've got breast cancer organizations and we've got, um, you know, veteran organizations. We've got all of the youth organizations to get into fly fishing, but is there something for the LGBTQ community? I can't think of anything. Can you I know that your friend has the get out program. Oh yeah. I don't I know think- if it's specific if there's any specific fly fishing, I can't speak to if there, there is an actual, I guess, uh, gay focused or LGBTQ focused fly fishing program. But I, like I said, I, I know that one of Elena's friends has like a get out program. You want to mm-hmm. talk about that? Yeah. I was in Boston speaking at a conference there and one of the vendors, I think it was called venture out They're in Boston and it is all about helping LGBTQ people feel comfortable in the outdoors. And so basically they would just bring in experts. Oh, you're a kayaking expert. Take our group out for a weekend. Oh, you're camping, hiking, rock climbing, fly fishing. Like they do all the things. And it was an incredibly successful program. They're not a nonprofit. They are making money by helping these groups feel confident in the outdoors. Um, but it is Boston-based. And I, in my travels, speaking to different conferences, I have not found another group that does that. Ooh, it might be time. It might be time. <laughs> It'd be the first one of its kind, I think. Perhaps, yeah. I can I think Google. it. Honestly, I mean, I've been doing this now long enough to know that this, it's never been more timely than now. Mm. I think if we were having this conversation 15 years ago, it, it would be a different conversation. So Kristen, you wanted to leave your job, right? <laughs> well, I'm just putting it out there for anyone listening or for you, for both of Kristen. you that may, maybe it's Kristen, <coughs> Kristen, <laughs> maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's time. Um, okay. Is there anything that I've missed in particular that you guys really wanted to cover during this conversation? I mean, I'd love to pick apart your story, Elena, and really get into honestly my own curiosity and my own like what's the you word? Can be curious <laughs> no but but like my own, nose, my own nosiness More but i would never curiosity. yeah go for well, it well but i i would never i would never sit down and do this to a straight guest you know um like, right would your girlfriend so i won't do it to you i'll i'll wait till i meet you in person and we can we can have a cocktail and talk about it privately but Which i do have be, a lot of first yeah that would be super fun but also know that in in our world visibility is life When you show a functional, healthy, happy, gay, queer person, you are showing kids and adults all over the world that they can hope to that. They can aspire to that. And that is why I do podcast interviews. That is why I prepare myself to be so vulnerable and to be so honest and authentic. Because every single time that I do, I get responses like, I didn't know. My mom told me that if I ever came out... I would be depressed and sad and not functional and I wouldn't be able to hold down a job. And now I know, oh, I can, I can. And, and I hear a lot of people, well, I hear from women every week saying, you know, it's the middle of the night. I'm typing this in my closet on the floor. I am in love with my best friend and I have five kids and I'm married and I can't leave. I'm completely trapped. And that's not fair to anyone in that situation. No. Well, okay. I'll just ask. I mean, how did your husband handle it? So obviously it was really, it was really hard, but Kristen and I had a very short intimate relationship before he found out because I am shit at hiding things. (laughs) I am very not good at it. And so it didn't last very long as well as it was, I've never said this with Kristen before. Um, she was, hurting. It was, it was very, very hard on her and she was ready to end it. I mean, really, if Chad hadn't found out for a few more days, we probably would have needed to end things because Kristen was hurting very badly. So then Chad finds out. And then of course I have to confess it to my Bishop and I'm trying to save this marriage. Why? 
Because one, divorce is failure and I'm not a failure. And two, I want to go back to heaven. I want to be with God again. And it's very clear that if I get divorced, I'm not getting back to heaven. So I wasn't just trying to save my marriage. I was trying to save my soul. And so I invested thousands of dollars in trying to be straight again through conversion therapy. And not only did it not work, I almost lost my life because of it, which is where 57% of people who do conversion therapy end up. And I had no well, idea. From from self-inflicted? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, explain, gotcha. <clears throat> explain conversion therapy because I feel like... sure. That's not standard therapy. It's not just like, hey, I'm just talking to somebody and sorting my feelings out. No. So conversion therapy is any therapy whose goal is to suppress the same-sex attraction and result in heteronormative attraction. So typically, mainstream media will say conversion therapy is that electroshock therapy that happened in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And that's horrific. And I think everyone can see that really quickly. And so that's not done as much anymore. What is very popular right now is at the kids' camps where uh, people send their kids to these camps to try to make them straight again. They cost a lot of money and people are making a lot of money off of them. And they are being sat in front of screens showing them homoerotic images. And then they're given like a charcoal drink to make them vomit, hoping to essentially brainwash them into that's horrible. It makes me sick. I never want to think about it. I never want to look at it. So that's obviously a very physically invasive form of conversion therapy. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have a situation where there's an authority figure in the room. It might be a quote unquote therapist, or it might be a religious leader. And they're basically telling you, Oh, something broke you. Something broke you and I'm going to fix you if you pay me money or if you donate to my church, but I will fix you and you will be straight again. You just have to try really hard. You're going to have to come every day for, for a long time and we're going to fix you. We're going to make it all better so that you don't feel this way anymore. So that's the kind of conversion therapy I did. And it was six months and thousands of dollars and uh, yeah, I wasn't fixed. <laughs> and so luckily Luckily, I was able to get help. Um, unfortunately, that help came because I was ready to take my own life. And I had been struggling against the thoughts for a solid month before I was able to get help. The moment I, I opened my mouth to my best friend and to my husband, I, I had help that afternoon. No one knew how badly I was struggling. And then once I did get help, I was put on emergency meds right away. I was finally able to sleep it had been years since I had slept. And through that, I really gained some clarity. And I was able to see some logic. Like, okay, yes, I was assaulted as a kid. And this therapist is trying to tell me that that assault causes same-sex attraction. But the Me Too movement is happening. And the headlines are telling me that at least 75% of American women have been assaulted at some time in their life. And 75% of American women aren't gay. So this logic doesn't play out. So it took me getting to a point where I was able to think clearly, which I hadn't done for a really long time to realize, oh, this is not what I want. This is, this isn't working. And I don't even know that I want it to work. That is absolutely fascinating. I didn't know about any of that. Mm, neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about, you know, parenting? So obviously mm -hmm. you and Chad came to an agreement. Is mm -hmm. he okay now? Cause I imagine, I feel for him. It would be tough. Me too. You know? oh, absolutely. 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 Um, I, I hope he's okay now. We have a good relationship. We literally live in the same neighborhood. We moved to the neighborhood where, where our kids' schools are. So our kids can walk to and from our houses to their schools, oh, to their friends' houses. Like we are, we're literally a five minute walk away from each other. And, and he has a partner now and she has four young children of her own. So I think he's doing okay. So what's next for you both? Where are you off to? So my dad actually lives near Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And so, right. yeah, he just moved there and I've never fished in Idaho. And so 
if everything was amazing and I felt very confident that it would be okay to visit him this summer, we would take a road trip, maybe with the kids, maybe not, and go visit dad and go fishing in Idaho. That would be incredible. I mean, at worst, deep dive into all of our small streams that we have here. They're innumerable. And I I know people are fishing them, but not as frequently, but uh, I just haven't had the chance to, you know, hike back 12 miles yet to to get to some cool stuff. So so definitely some probably backpacking trips throughout the year. Definitely want to do uh, Goldens in California, do a, a horse packing trip. That'd be really sweet. Are there any native fish in Arizona or is everything introduced? Yes, ma'am. No. Mm-hmm. So a good population has been introduced. Um, obviously, rainbows were introduced, um, except... Well, yes. Uh, but yes, we actually have two native fish. Um, the Apache is actually our state fish. So that's an Apache trout. And then we also have the, uh, the Gila trout that they just reintroduced back into one of its original watersheds, um, this last year. Um, so actually my brother and I just went up and caught them, um, this last week, caught a couple. Um, so at that point they're stocked. Unfortunately, the wild population up on one of the mountains here got decimated by, um, a wildfire, which is, is, Pretty common here in Arizona, like no surprise, everything catches on fire. But um, yeah, so those are two absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous. Um, you can only catch Apache here in Arizona and you can catch Gila's here and in New Mexico right now. So that's their native range. What so. are they? Do they look different? Are they a rainbow trout? What what are they? What are they? They're their own subspecies. I mean, they're their own species. They are, they are trout. Um, they both have a more, I would say, golden look to them with a lot of fine spotting. The, the Apache, excuse me, the Gila will have a little bit more pink blush in the cheeks. It'll look more like a little bit of hybrid with a rainbow, but they're not. So the Gila too, they've had like, um, a really, really high purity of strain that they've gotten from New Mexico. And so the guys at the hatchery here have done um, a phenomenal job of really raising healthy, hardy fish that will hopefully be able to sustain within that river system. So that'd be really cool. They've done, we have a lot of TU projects and a lot of um, forest service and game and game and fish projects going on throughout the state to to try and help reintroduce and, and get those fish back into their native ranges. I'll have to come out and do some fishing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, is there, we're going to wrap it up. Is there anything that mm-hmm. either of you would like to add or to ask me? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> All the things. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I do. I, when I was on your Instagram account, I loved seeing the photos of your kiddo on your backpack. So we talk about Kristen, like juggling career and parenthood and fishing, like you are kind of wrapped up in all of it at the same time. You've got, I can't imagine having a young one again. Like that makes me, (laughs) (laughs) but here you are, like your career is also your hobby is also your parenting because you've got that baby right on your back as you're casting. Like how, what is your concept of work-life balance? Yeah. The balance is not there because I definitely have not been taking as good a care of myself, as you can tell by looking at me right now. I mean, part of it's Whatever. COVID. The other part of it is just not having the time to maybe go for that run today or sleep more than five hours. <laughs> but because I'm so happy at my job, I don't really notice that it's off balance, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And it's the funniest thing. I remember, because I've always been a workaholic and and I'm fine with that. My my mom's a workaholic. We're all workaholics in my family, except for my dad. But my sister is, my mom is, I am. And I remember I would wake up when I was young, you know, in my early 20s with Fly Gal. And I would wake up and not want to go to work. And that really confused me back then because I loved my job. But I've learned over the years that if I wake up and I don't want to go to work, I do not go to work that day. And it could last up to three days. I don't think I've had it last longer than three days. But by the end of taking those one, two, or three days off, I am itching and frothing to get back in the office. So I really do just trust my body and myself. And if my brain says, I'm really not wanting to open my computer today, then unless it's a real deadline, I I don't. I go fishing. I get outside. So just learning to trust what your body is telling you and not being terrified. I mean, not wanting to work for one or three days doesn't mean that you hate your job. It just means you need to get back to having space in your head outside. Wow. 
So true. I mean, so much of that resonates with me, like learning how to trust my body. That, Mm -hmm. that is a journey I'm still on. And everyone who comes from a high demand religion is because we are told like the body is sinful, cover it up. Don't engage with it. Like this is, this is of the earth and it's not what you're aspiring to. You're not meant to be comfortable in this body. You are meant to be back with God in heaven. Right. And so this massive disengagement happens. And so here our body could be telling us clearly, don't work today. You need a day off. But we have gone decades ignoring the signals our body is, is giving us. And that results in. Yeah, a pit, a really big pit. And when there are women who have figured it out before they've hit that pit, then it's amazing and so good for all of us to hear. And I think that's not just relegated to to those high demand religions, right? Like I come from corporate and, and that's how it is, right? If you don't show up, you don't get paid, you don't work, you might get fired, right? So like we we kind of have a broken system where you you cannot take that time off even if it would benefit your employer better or more mm-hmm. to have you take mm-hmm. that time off. Like you would be, you know, your efficacy rate would go through the roof if you were allowed to just have that one day off. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's all sides. Everyone is dealing with it. And it's, it's hard. I don't listen to my body clearly. Like I'm, <laughs> you know, fighting my way through a job that I don't want to be at, like still. Uh, so I can't say that I'm actually practicing what I preach, but <laughs> But at least you're aware of it. At least you're aware the of it. The awareness. The awareness is key, for sure. I'm going to let you guys get back to your evening. Um, you. Anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap it up? Thank you so much. This is going to be like an awesome memory for us to have together. Like, this is incredible. Thank you. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. Obviously, you know, through social medias, you know, we see how cool you are. But uh, to to tell your other listeners, you know, she really is just as awesome as you guys think she is. So she's even nicer than I would have imagined. thanks, guys. Well, you and have I to get to... <laughs> it's a huge thing for oh, a professional woman, especially in the outdoor industry, to create a platform as successful as yours. And then what you have done with it is then you pass the mic. And you have passed the mic to people who need to get a message out to save lives, literally. And I think that that's just so powerful and impactful. So cool. Thank you. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening. places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.